Well, I don't know about you, but I was uh, really, really blessed by that time of worship. Was that amazing? I mean, I can't think I needed that after this last week and the week ahead. And I trust that uh, whatever campus you were joining us from, the worship was just as powerful. Hopefully you felt that right into your living room if you're joining us online. And uh, we're glad to have you. Uh, this is your first time uh, to be with us or to be tuning in. Uh, we have been in a series of messages since the beginning of the year. This is week number three, uh, calling the series Atomic Habits. And it's inspired by a book with the same title that I read about a year and a half ago. A guy named James Clear wrote the book. And basically what we are doing is we're just uh, taking some stock, taking an inventory of our uh, personal and spiritual lives at the beginning of a year, because most of the time that's when we are the most open to experiencing change. And I think that all of us can, um, if we were just to stop, take a time out, do some evaluation of our lives, there would be some areas where we would say, I, I know that that needs to change. Like I, I've been excusing that for far too long. I've been ignoring that for far too long. I need to do something to experience this change that I'm looking for. But oftentimes we're not exactly sure where to start or maybe we feel like we're kind of digging our way out of a pit because if you're anything like me, my life is kind of filled with lots of stops and starts. And so it's kind of like, how can I experience this change that I'm looking for? And so on week number one, we said that, you know, all of us are hoping that this year will be better than last year and that we are hoping to experience change. And hope is a great place to start, but it isn't a very effective strategy. And what I mean by that is if, uh, you know, we're upside down financially, and we wonder, like at the end of this year, are we going to save more than we're saving now? Are we going to be out of debt uh, than what we are now? We can't just say, well, you know, I hope so. We need to develop some sort of strategy around that to begin moving in that direction. If our relationships aren't where we want them to be, if maybe our marriage isn't where we want it to be, we can't just say, well, you know, hopefully uh, by the end of the year, it'll be better. You know, maybe, maybe we'll have that one conversation. We'll go on that one date. We'll go on that great vacation and then it'll be better by then. We got to actually begin to do something on a regular basis. If we look at our spiritual lives and we say, I'm not really where I want to be in my relationship with God, in um, the growth of my character and what we might call the fruits of the spirit found in a book in the New Testament called Galatians. We, we can't just say, well, I hope I grow. You know, I, I hope that I, I attend or attune in, you know, a couple times a month and I'll read my Bible when I can. I'll try to do a few good things. And then hopefully at the end of the year, I'll be spiritually further along than what I am now. Hope's a good place to start, not an effective strategy. But we're not talking about some huge uh, jump. We're not talking about some huge astronomical change. We're just simply talking about an atomic one. And every week of this series, we've given this definition of atomic. It just simply means incremental or extremely minute or tiny. This should make it more manageable. This is good news in all of our lives. So all of us can manage to say, what small, tiny little adjustment that I need to make? And so simply by way of review, uh, two weeks ago when we started this, we, we talked about the cumulative power of atomic habits. These small incremental changes and how it's such a biblical concept. We just see it all throughout God's word that Jesus himself implemented daily atomic habits into his routine that kept anchoring him back to his identity. Like Jesus knew who he was. He knew why he had come. He said, I, 
I've come from the Father. And I've come not just to teach some moral lessons. I've come not just to do some some tricks on the side. I've come to reconcile men and women back to God. He knew who his identity was. And so his daily habits reinforced that identity. And we see this in the Apostle Paul. Last week we saw it from Daniel. And you could just go through uh, every major character that God used in a significant way throughout his word, Ruth and Esther and others. They all had these habits. In fact, we might even go as far as to say this, that people of character foster healthy habits. If you look at somebody that's got a really strong character, you can't just go, wow, like they, they were just born that way. Or they just have the genetics for a good character. No, likely if you look under the hood, they've got some daily disciplines, some daily habits that they continue to foster in their lives that reinforce that character. So last week we talked about, you know, what are just one or two atomic habits? <laughs> not 25, not 10, but one or two atomic habits we can develop into our lives. And we said we need to make them clear. We need to make them simple. We need to make them known. And then we ended last week by talking about a keystone habit. And we gave this definition of a keystone habit, that it's a small habit that you introduce into your routine that ends up improving many other areas of your life that really doesn't have to, to do with that specific area. So I gave the example of eating dinner together as a family and all the other side benefits that that brings and exercise, all the other side benefits. And I said, the keystone habit that will impact every other area of your life is daily engaging in God's word. And we drew a difference between uh, reading and engaging. They're not the same thing. And I don't know about any of you, but I have, I have this uh, ability to read like a whole page and then not uh, retain anything that I just read. Anybody with me? I, my mind starts wandering. I'm just like squirrel, you know, and I'm, and I'm over here and I, and I read it, but it didn't sink in. There's a difference between reading the Bible and engaging in God's word. We want to engage in it. You're not, you're like, well, what's the difference? Well, Psalm 119, 105. Your word, it, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we said the Bible isn't just a history book. It's not just a bunch of knowledge. It's not just the answer book. You know, God never promised to illuminate the whole path. He promised to illuminate the step in your path. And so how you engage in it is every day you sit down and you take just a few moments, 10, 15 verses, maybe a chapter tops, and you just pray and you say, God, I need some guidance for the day. I need some clarity for the step of faith that I'm getting ready to take. Would you, would you give it to me from your, from your word? And so what I want to talk about today in this third installment is I want to talk about, uh, we, we've talked about fostering good atomic habits to, that reinforces our identity, who we want to be. Now I want to talk about breaking up with bad habits because the reality is that we could spend a whole bunch of time fostering and developing good habits in our lives only to have all of that sabotaged by just one or two bad habits that we allow or make excuses for. It's kind of like, have you, any of you ever... Um, gotten like a really, really good workout in, like you broke some sweat and you burned like 600 calories. And then you go home and you take your family out to the brand new Japanese steakhouse that just opened up. And I'm talking hypothetically here like this. Just use your imagination with me. And you sit down and you eat all the fried rice and the shrimp and the chicken and the steak. And then you go home and you realize like I just undid all the hard work I did in the gym, hypothetically. 
Felt like I was sweating butter, all right? And, uh, and uh, this is kind of like if you do all this hard work to say, here's one or two atomic habits I want to implement into 2021, but then you don't pay attention to maybe some habits that are actually working against those good habits, it'll sabotage everything. And I talked about a couple of weeks ago how unfortunately bad habits are so easy to fall into in our lives. Like we don't have to give great intentionality to it. It just happens. Like you don't have to intentionally set out to binge watch Netflix. It just happens. And they make it easy for you because as soon as you get done with one episode, it just goes right into the other one. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, take a whole lot of intentional effort to overeat. That's easy to do because it's enjoyable or oversleep. Like these bad habits that we foster, they're so, they, it's so easy to get into our lives and then we get stuck. And I shared with you on week one, some of my bad habits when I was growing up, one of which biting my fingernails. And, but I've had others. Um, when I was um, in high school, I worked as a, uh, at a grocery store bagging groceries. And I got into a bad habit one summer uh, at closing time, I would run back to the freezer section and I would grab a thing of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, one of my favorite flavors, Chunky Monkey. Anybody with me? Oh man, Chunky Monkey. We have one fan, me and you after, we're gonna go get it, all right? And so I would run back to the freezer section, I would get it, I would run home and I wouldn't just like, you know, make myself a little bowl or whatever. I would go back to my bedroom with it and, um, turn on Nintendo and play RBI baseball late into the night and eat the whole thing. And I would finish up around midnight and then go to bed. And I got into the habit of doing that uh, for several weeks during that summer. And then I began to wonder why um, my stomach hurt all the time. And I began to wonder why I wasn't sleeping very well because I like slipped into this bad habit that I knew I needed to, to break free from. There've been other bad habits though that have been right on the verge of my doorstep like many of you maybe you can relate to this like I remember when I was in high school and one of my friends came over he had a backpack and he got into my room shut the door unzipped the backpack and he pulled out some explicit magazines that he'd snuck out of his dad's closet and I didn't really say anything but then he brought him over again and he brought him over again and I remember thinking to myself like I, I need to break up with this habit this can turn into an addiction that'll get a hold on you and I would imagine maybe if that's not one of the particular things that you've wrestled with, maybe there's something that has, maybe it could be some sort of a substance. Maybe it's an addiction to maybe um, social media of some kind. What, what is it in your life right now? Can I just ask this question? What are one or two bad habits that you need to break up with in 2021? You need to put some distance between you and these behaviors that are holding you back and they're working against this identity who Jesus died for you to be. And so what are some of the things that we need to do? Now, here's the, the thing is that when it comes to some bad habits that are in our lives, I would imagine that every single one of us can identify at least one or two. They're like, you know what? At the very least, I know that, I, that this isn't helping me. And it's not that we don't know that. It's just that um, we've probably tried in the past to put some distance there, to break up with some of these addictions and maybe it didn't work. Maybe we just empowered it all the more. Maybe we have been stuck in that pit for so long that we just think, I don't know that I'll ever be able to break free from this. In fact, maybe you've begun to even buy the lie. Well, it's just who I am. And so you just continue to harbor that bad habit in your life and to foster these secrets. 
Maybe you can relate to something that Paul said in Romans chapter 7. He, he said, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right. The desire is there, but I don't do it. Instead, I, I do what I hate. And then he says, I, I want to do what is, what is good. The desire is there, but, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can anybody relate to that? He sounds so human. Like this is the struggle that we have. It's like there's good that I want to do. I don't do it. And there's unhealthy things, bad things, destructive things. I, I, I don't want to do, but this I continue to do. And you could probably fill in the blanks there with some more specific struggles. You say, I really, really want to eat healthy, but I ate the chicken chimichanga anyway. I really want to get up early and exercise, start my day off right. But man, when it's dark and it's cold outside, it's just so easy to roll over and go back to sleep. I really do want to live on a budget, but Amazon makes it so easy with that one click purchasing button. The thing that I didn't even know existed five minutes ago, but now I have to have it. And I can probably have it within the next hour. I really want to engage in God's word, but I binge watch Netflix instead. I really want to be kind and encouraging, but I got on Facebook anyway. I'm hitting a little too close to home, I know. Why, why is it so hard to break up with bad habits? Well, we've looked at this graph every week of this series. And so once again, by way of review, this results time graph. And if you're just now joining us, we've been saying that one of the reasons why change is so hard is when we make a decision, whatever it is, New Year's resolution, I'm going to eat healthier, live on a budget, work on my relationships, grow spiritually, whatever. And we want to experience like immediate tangible results up and to the right. But most often that's not how change works. Change, usually there's a dip. And so if you just take exercise, for example, you say, I'm going to exercise and eat right. You're probably not going to notice right after one day of it. Maybe even like a week of it. Maybe at the week, at the end of the week, you're really sore and you maybe even gained a couple pounds and you don't feel any stronger. And you're just like, I don't even know if this is working. And there's like this dip. But if you stay with it and continue to just follow the pattern of this over the course of several months, you begin to pick up momentum and then something begins to happen. Compound interest begins to work for you. And then all of a sudden you turn a corner and you begin to experience exponential results. But where we oftentimes lose the battle is right here. And it's the valley of despair. Well, I wanna say that it's just the opposite in trying to break a bad habit. With a bad habit, we make uh, maybe a decision, a poor choice, and we experience immediate results. That's the unfair thing about it. You get a hit of dopamine. You get an adrenaline rush. You get this itch scratched right away. And so you make the purchase, the $500 purchase on a credit card, and you get the shiny thing right there. And you don't even get a bill for a month. You get the immediate results. You, you go to the Japanese steakhouse, hypothetically. And you eat the meal and it tastes so good. And you're just like, wow, that, that tastes so good. But then like an hour later, that's when you begin to experience some of the negative results. You have the innocent flirtation. You have the blow up of anger. Feels good right in the moment, but then it begins to erode your marriage or your relationships. Here's the thing about a bad habit is that it starts off, you get an immediate result, but then you stay with it 
and eventually it'll crater your life because compound interest then begins to work against you. We could say it this way, is that with a good habit, it's difficult to start, but it's easy to live with once you do. A bad habit though, it's easy to start, but it's very difficult to live with. And some of you know this to be true. And we've got to address some of the bad habits in our lives rather than ignoring them or excusing them. Because a few bad habits can lead you and me to a place that we never ever wanted to go and it can sabotage the work that God desires to do in our lives. And so last week um, I said that in order to foster a, a good a healthy atomic habit, if I could show you this graph, here's last week's outline right here. We need to make it clear, simple, and known. And I would say in order to break up with a bad habit, it just mirrors this. Breaking up with a bad habit, we need, instead of making it clear, we need to make it invisible. I'm going to talk about what I mean by that in a minute. Instead of making it simple, we need to make it really difficult. And then we also need to make it known. So that way we stay accountable, we stay encouraged to continue to put distance between us and this bad habit. So let me unpack this. First of all, to, to distance yourself from a bad habit, we need to make it invisible. It's all in what we see. How many times have you resolved to no longer engage in a bad habit, but then you fell into it anyway? I mean, you told yourself over and over again, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And just like Paul in Romans 7, you end up doing the very thing that you didn't want to do. And so I think the reason why is because so much of the time when we're trying to break up with a bad habit, we're doing so in the power of our own strength. It's called willpower. And the unfortunate and ironic thing about relying upon willpower is that when you try to resist temptation in your own willpower, you end up just making the temptation stronger. Jesus himself, when he resisted temptation in the desert, when Satan came to tempt him, he didn't rely upon willpower. And if there was anybody that probably had the willpower to resist, it was him, but he didn't. Instead, he relied upon the power of God's word. Paul is talking about willpower in Romans 7 and he says it'll only take you so far before you eventually lose your grip. When I was in college, I worked at a furniture company and uh, we delivered furniture. And uh, we delivered uh, couches and lazy boy chairs and mattresses and tables. And so I would go uh, after lunch, right after I'd taken all my classes and go early in the afternoon, we'd show up, we'd get the uh, order, we'd load the truck up full of furniture, we'd go run our deliveries. And um, it was a fun job, I enjoyed it. But the thing that I didn't like was delivering um, uh, sleeper uh, couches. You know what I'm talking about? Those things, whoever invented the sleeper couch like should be excommunicated because these things, they're not even very comfortable anyway. We got applause over here. We, uh, not even very comfortable anyway, but they looks like a regular couch until you pick it up and it weighs three times the amount because of all the bed frame and the mattress inside. And uh, we had a, a order that afternoon of a lot of sleeper couches. And um, at the very end of the afternoon, we we're about done. We had one more stop to make. And the only thing left on the truck was two sleeper couches. And so we pull up at this house. Somebody had ordered two of them. And we walked in and the guy said, hey, let me show you where they go. And uh, it was a three-story house. Neither one of them went on the main floor. <laughs> one of them went upstairs. One of them went downstairs. Thank you very much. And then to top it all off, he said, and I've got two existing sleeper sofas I'd like for you guys to take out of here and haul away. So four sleeper couches, 
end of the afternoon. So me and my friend, we're dying. And we managed to get the two out. We got one in. We got one more to deliver. It's downstairs. And I'm, you ever get to this place where your grip is so tired, like you just can't even hardly feel your hands anymore? And that was me. And I'm, I'm holding this thing and we're going down the stairs, you know, and I'm doing everything I can to hold on to it. And I'm telling myself, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I, I couldn't, like involuntarily, I just lost my grip. It just slipped out of my hands and it, and it dropped on the stairs. And I would say that so many of us, that's what happens when we're just relying upon willpower. We're trying to resist we're trying to refrain from you fill in the blank, whatever it may be. And we're like, just hold on, just hold on. And, and, and it, your grip will only take you so far. We've got to rely on something that is much, much stronger than willpower. And Charles Duhigg in his well-known book, The Power of Habits, he gives this little equation. He said that when it comes to both good and bad habits, he said, here's, here's how they stick. Is there's a, a cue a trigger of some kind, often, most oftentimes in, found in what we see. And then there's a response. That's like what we do. And then there's a reward. You do this enough times, you'll develop a habit. And so he says that when it comes to breaking up with bad habits, we've really got to attack the cue. And it's really this question of where is my focus and where is my attention? It's all those sensory receptors that we talked about last week. And this is just reinforced by Jesus' very words in Matthew chapter 6. Check this out. Jesus says, your eye is like a, a what? A lamp that provides light for your body. I can't help but just notice the parallels to Psalm 119, 105. It says your, your eye is like a lamp, provides light for the rest of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. In other words, he's saying what you look at, what you're focused on is where the rest of your life will go. And then he gets, uses really, really strong language in chapter 5, verse 29. He says, so if your eye, like even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. And this is such dramatic language. You're like, wow, like, does Jesus mean that literally? And thankfully, he doesn't mean it literally because if he meant it literally, there wouldn't be any eyeballs left. Like all of us would have all of our eyes gouged out multiple times over. No, he is using hyperbolic language, which he often did, in order to make a dramatic point. See, Jesus is basically saying this. He's saying, instead of trying to resist Remove, don't just resist the temptation, remove yourself from the temptation because you might be able to hold on for a while, but eventually you'll lose your grip. So don't put yourself in that position. So what is your struggle? What is the thing you need to distance yourself from? And, and maybe it's a substance of some kind, so don't have it in the house. Maybe it's a, a flirtation of some kind, so make sure you're not alone. Maybe it's uh, your, your self-esteem. And so watch what it is that you're watching and listening to and looking at. Don't just resist, remove. The second step just overlaps that. And it's just simply this. We, we've got to make it difficult. See, sometimes success is less about making a good habit easy and more about making a bad habit difficult. And one of the best ways to, to break up with a bad habit is to just make it incredibly difficult to fall into. So if you go back to Charles Duhigg's equation of cue, response, and reward, 
we've basically got to say, okay, I need to uh, remove the, the cue and then I need to pay attention to the actions that are associated with it. And I need to make it really, really difficult for me to continue to harbor this bad habit. So if we could just use some illustration once again, like if your bad habit you need to break up from is overspending and you need to get out of debt, then maybe you need to do something about the placement of your credit cards. And you might do the Dave Ramsey thing. You might cut them all up. Maybe some of you are like, well, we can't cut them all up. We need at least one for emergency purposes or whatever. Okay, well, just don't put it in your wallet or your purse. Lock it away in a safe somewhere. Maybe, and I know this is gonna be crazy for so many, you're gonna go, whoa, 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 hold up. Are you using hyperbolic language too, pastor? No, I'm not. Maybe we need to remove Apple Pay. I know that's crazy. That's crazy. But we, but I don't know. It's, I don't know, something about purchasing something with your face. Like it just <laughs> seems a little too easy. All right. And maybe we need to just make it a little harder. Maybe you really want to get up, but the, you keep, it's so easy to hit the snooze button. And so maybe you need to take the alarm and remove it from the nightstand and you need to put it in the bathroom somewhere so that we actually have to get up out of bed to go shut the snooze button off. And I know some of you are going, I ain't doing that. <laughs> Maybe you keep falling into the trap of social media. I'm not against social media, but some of us, it's bringing out the worst in us. It's stirring up some angst and anxiety. And, 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 and you, you say to yourself every time you get off, I need to spend less time on it. But maybe you need to delete the app off your phone so you don't even see it. But it's not the first thing that you open up to. Listen to the wisdom of Jesus once again. In Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Now, one of the takeaways from what Jesus is saying here is he's saying in order to break free from something that is destroying the work of God's spirit in your life is you've got to be willing to do the hard thing. In other words, to experience a break through, you're going to have to break free from some of the things that many other people are doing. To, to foster the character that we need to stand up under crisis. Maybe we need to um, swim upstream. Maybe we need to go against the grain. And there's always this point in my message prep where I, I sit down and I uh, spend uh, hours Engaging in God's word. God, what are you saying? What are you saying? How do I take what you're saying and, and, and teach it clearly to remain faithful to God's word? And then, and then what's the application for us today? As, as one preacher said a long, long time ago, to effectively deliver God's word, you gotta have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And so I'm thinking about our current situation in life and where, where is the application for so many of us today? And... Um, and I feel like for, for many of us, the thing that we need to do is we need to get a proper perspective around technology and social media because I think I'm afraid that for many of us, it's, it's being formed into a bad habit that is not fostering the fruits of the spirit in our lives. And I'm not against social media. I think that there's, I think that it provides um, some great things for us to stay in communication with family and friends and to share pictures and thoughts and even get the gospel message out. That's why our church uses it. Yeah, like any tool, I think we've got to be disciplined enough to, to use it properly. 
Many of you that were around, you know that um, a year ago, during this time, we were in a series called, ironically, Screen Time. <laughs> and we talked about our usage of cell phones and technology and limiting our screen time. Little would we know within two months, we'd be in a pandemic and our screen time would all shoot up a thousand percent. And yet I, I think we need to be reminded of, because I, th I think that some of the truths that we covered a year ago are still applicable today, maybe even more applicable because during a pandemic, during crisis, everything accelerates both good and bad. And I think that all of us need to stop. And I've done this and I'm not saying that I'm <laughs> achieving victory over this just yet, but I'm thinking about it is that right now in the midst of abnor an abnormal season, we call a pandemic, we are fostering habits. Part of what's made this season so uncomfortable is because it's turned life upside down for so many of us. And eventually when the pandemic lifts, we'll be left with our habits that we foster during this time. The question is, are the habits I'm fostering, do I want them to stick around when the pandemic's over? And we've got to make a decision today. And I think that for so many of us, this centers around our usage of social media and technology. Do you know that um, the average person receives 45 notifications on their smartphone every day, not counting text messages, direct messages, and news alerts. Our phones and devices are constantly crying out to us Look at this, check this out, scroll over here. And it's leaving us feeling more overwhelmed, disconnected and emptier than ever. I don't know how many of you noticed, it was in this hour, it was the 11 o'clock hour last week and always before I get up to preach on my watch and on my phone, I hit do not disturb. For whatever reason though, Siri decided to ignore it. And right in the middle of my sermon, she started talking to me. I don't know, I don't know if any of you caught that, the sound guys noticed it and uh, she just starts chirping away at me. It was so annoying. I was like, Siri, be quiet. You know, and it's like, doesn't even respect the middle of the sermon. <laughs> and that's just the thing. It, it just causes all these interruptions for our day. Like there are massive corporations behind the social media apps and their job is to distract us, to pull us away from maybe the things that we need to focus upon. Do you know the average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Over two hours on social media every day, 91% of smartphone users have their phones within arm's reach all the time. You ever forgotten your phone somewhere you're at and you almost feel like you're naked? So I don't know how I'm gonna function without this thing. 68% won't go anywhere without it. Henry Blackaby gave what I think is maybe one of the most best definitions of idolatry he said, anything, an idol is anything you turn to for help when God invited you to turn to him for help. And it's just a question that I can't answer for you. You can't answer for somebody else. It's self-reflection. You gotta ask yourself, when I'm looking for some comfort, do I scroll or do I engage? When I'm looking for some answers, do I open up an app or do I go to my knees? When I spend time on social media, when I walk away, am I more anxious or less anxious, more angry or less angry? And just the answers to those questions should inform some of the decisions that we make around this tool. And I really think it's primarily this question of, am I using social media or is social media using me? What has become the greatest source of angst, anxiety, and anger in your life over the last 60 days? And whatever it is, that might need to be the bad habit that you put some distance 
in between you and the thing. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through two gives us a roadmap for how to do this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these are all the faithful men and women who went before us, who lived through their own pandemics, who lived through their own crisis. And now they're cheering us on. They're saying, you can do it. It says, let us throw off, or we might say power down everything that hinders, that's holding us back and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. Don't give up. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, where? Say it with me out loud. That was pathetic. (laughs) Fixing our eyes, where? On Jesus, Jesus. much better. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Notice what the author of Hebrews is saying, saying where, where you look, that like makes all the difference. What you are taking in to your head and heart, that makes all the difference. I heard from a number of you this last week where, You said, like, you know what? I'm getting off social media for a while. It's not doing my heart any good. And it'll be there when I'm ready to come back. I'm gonna gonna redeem the time. I'm gonna redeem the screen. Many of you have decided to to put up some boundaries and some parameters. And and I want you to know I'm I'm right there with you. I'm like, I'm feeling this thing that I I just, I need to, to dictate what I'm gonna do with my phone and devices and technology rather than it dictate my day. Because listen, God's calling upon your life is far too big and far too important for you to scroll it away. For you to be looking at pictures of other people's lives rather than living the life that God has called you to live. And getting spun out in anxiety rather than experiencing the peace of God. Can I just ask you, what boundaries do you need to put in place? And there's gonna be people that won't like it, won't understand it, accuse you of false motives. I've come to this realization here recently. Like I'm on social media, but so much of it is, um, it really is because I do want to impact and touch people and pastor people. It is a way to do that. It can get out of hand in a hurry because if I'm always accessible, that, that, that makes it difficult to maneuver and to manage my day. And I, I realize that I've got like a messenger on Facebook. I've got direct messages on Instagram. I've got direct lines from Twitter. I've got a church email, got a personal email, got text message uh, from a number of you have my number. And it was getting to this place where my phone was like uh, pinging all the time. (laughs) And so I just decided uh, I'm just gonna have to draw some boundaries. And one of the first ones to go was Facebook Messenger. It's like, I'm just, I can't, I can't, I can't devote any more energy to that. And I've had a couple people here recently really angry with me because they sent me a message and it, they, they had a need. They really needed prayer. They needed a pastor in their life. But I didn't respond because I didn't see it because I said, I can't, I can't constantly be responding to DMs and text messages all the time. And I, I just want you to know that it's this conviction that if I make myself available to everyone, I won't be good for anyone specifically my family. I have three teenagers at home and I'm realizing they'll be out of the house before I know it. And I don't, I wanna give the best of my energy and the best of my effort. I don't wanna be looking at a phone all the time. And so can I just tell you that um, all ministry doesn't have to go through me. And it's not just all through the pastoral staff. It's all of us as a church body. That's why we continue to encourage you to get into groups. So that way it's the priesthood of all believers. That way we can encourage and pastor each other. 
and, and there are channels by which you can get to me and I will respond pastorally to, to things. Um, and yes, I have an assistant that receives all my emails first, not because she's trying to protect me, but because she's trying to help me get an answer to everybody. So stop giving her a hard time. She's a servant and she does it with a Christ-like attitude. Here's the thing, I'd encourage you to do the same. In what areas of your life has it just gotten a little bit out of control? And you're like, I need to put some boundaries in play so that way it doesn't dictate my day. Here's the last step. In order to break up with a bad habit, you gotta make it known by the right people. And last week we said, if you wanna start a good habit and if you wanna stick with it and you gotta have the right people around you, encouraging you and holding you accountable in the best way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And you've heard it said before, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And you have the power to withstand some of these temptations and bad habits more so than you're probably getting your, giving yourself credit for. You know, uh, social scientists that have studied people who have self-control and those who struggle with it, they, they've said, we've studied both groups. And do you know what they found the differences between the two groups, both physically and psychologically? Not much. See, the difference between the two is people who have self-control simply limit the tempting situations that they put themselves in and they surround themselves with the right people. And yet at the end of the day, when it comes to fostering good habits and distancing ourselves from bad habits, the most important thing that you and I can do to change our lives actually has nothing to do with our habits. It has everything to do with your identity. Listen one more time to Paul's description in Romans 7 verse 19. He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And then he goes on to say, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And what we see here is Paul, he's, he's kind of going at his identity. He's, he's basically saying that my identity is my struggle. It's like saying, hey, what a wretched man I am. I failed over and over and over again. And this is who I am. And maybe I'll never get out of it. Which is why the conclusion that he comes to in verse 25 is so, so powerful. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He delivers me. That I put myself in this position and it's not about willpower. It's not about the things that I bring to the table. It's about putting myself in a position where he and he alone can change me. And so if you wanna break up with bad habits that are, that are cratering your life, don't fall into the same pattern of stops and starts. Don't try to hold on to willpower. Don't just try to hang on, let go. And you die to yourself and you surrender it to the one who gave it all to change your identity. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says, I will, I will give you, you, you don't have to earn it, I'll give it to you, a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 
Therefore, if anyone, this, this, is open, this is an open invitation to anyone and everyone. If you are in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new is here. So I want you to know that this is not just been a series on self-help. That the Bible is simultaneously deep in its transformational power and it is equally practical to everyday living. And when we can take the deep, deep truths of God, there's a fancy word for that, it's called theology. And when we can wed it to practical application, there is real power in that. And right now today, like I hope that you get lots of applicable stuff from this. I hope that you can implement some things into your life. But at the end of the day, all of that would be for nothing. If I don't just give you the opportunity to lay it down and to give your life to Jesus Christ and to die to yourself and to allow him to deliver you and to give you a heart of flesh, replacing the heart of stone, to make you a new creation, to give you a new hope. And it's not as difficult as we might make it out to be. You don't have to have all of the answers. In fact, none of us do. You don't have to be perfect. That would defeat the whole point. You come to God, listen, here's the beauty of it. Just as I am, bad habits and all, mess ups and all. And some of you are like, well, you don't understand. I've got a really, really messy divorce in my past. And, and if I'm being honest, Aaron, it was mostly my fault. Okay. But that's not you. Like you did some things, you made some mistakes. That's not your identity. Aaron, you don't understand what I'm addicted to. You don't understand some of the stuff I got going on over here in some of these dark corners of my life. Maybe I don't, but listen to me. That's not you. Your struggle is not you. Jesus died so that that wouldn't be the thing that would keep you between him and God. You simply lay it down. You simply say, I, I don't have the answers. I need you to deliver me. And here's the promise. He will. He'll meet you right where you are and give you a new identity and a new name and a new purpose for living. You've just simply got to lay it down. You confess your sin. You don't harbor it any longer. You don't make excuses for it. You just come clean with it and say, forgive me. And now Jesus, you take the throne on my heart, the rightful position that's always been yours, but I've put other things there. You take that position and I'll follow you imperfectly, but for the rest of my days. And then I just simply want to invite you to invite Jesus into your life or re-invite Jesus into your life. And then here's the next step for so many of us, whether you have never done this or you did it for the wrong reasons, I just want to invite you to be baptized. And baptism is simply an outward expression of an internal decision. Something tangible you do. It's, it's, there's something powerful about it that when you are lowered under the water, it's like a lowery grave a watery grave, you're being resurrected as a new creation in Christ. We've done thousands and thousands of baptisms here. It never gets old and the experience is always the same. Grown men just crying like a baby in the baptistry. Women just trembling with emotion. There's something powerful about it. Why did God 
invent baptism? I don't really fully know all the answers to that, but I do know that every one of them that I've been a part of has been super powerful. It's also one of the things that we have a tendency to resist so much for all kinds of reasons. And I wanna encourage you today at the beginning of this year to invite Jesus into your life and to be baptized. And if you would like to, to do that, you can simply text Jesus to 87221. Our team will answer any questions you have, talk about your next steps, try to give you some direction for what that all looks like. But we would love to have you. As we step into our new identity in Christ to live out the purposes that he's called us to now more than ever. Father, we come to you right now so grateful that your word is deep in its truths about who you are, theology, and incredibly practical for our day-to-day -day living, application. And so Father, I pray today that you would give us the courage and the strength to foster some atomic habits that support the godly character that you wanna foster within us by the power of your spirit. And I pray that you give us the courage to break up with some bad habits that have been sabotaging that work in our lives for far too long. And God, I pray that collectively as people that we would either surrender our lives to you, maybe many of us for the very, very first time and others of us, we would re-surrender our life to you because we've gotten distracted by all the things going on in the world. And God, we know it's a, another emotionally charged week with an, an inauguration ahead of us. And God, I just pray that you would bring a sense of peace and calm and trust, knowing that this world is not our home. And so in the words of Hebrews, we fix our eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And you've told us in, in 1 Peter that we are foreigners in this land. And we are here to represent you as you usher in your kingdom come. And so Father, we put our trust in you and we desire to be the people that live out your purposes. That we would grow stronger during this time of crisis, not weaker. And that comes when we are intentional about the habits that we form and the destructive habits we need to put distance in asking you to take the seat on the throne of our hearts that you rightfully deserve. And so as we lift up our voices and as we sing back to you a response from what we've just heard from your word, I pray that you'd receive it and that none of us would ever be the same. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.